No, it's great. Thank you. I just um, thank you for e each person who's who's sort of shared. Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but I just find those times just to be so encouraging. Something I probably most look forward to in in sort of gathering, being able to gather together. Um, yeah, so thank you for, for each person who shared. And, and just, again, a reminder of, of just the, um, you know, we work really hard and we, and we try really hard to, this is a, a safe place to give things a go, to, you know, kind of to step out and make yourself vulnerable um, and, you know, share something that you have really, you know, I shouldn't speak for them, but I'm going to. But most people that get up here, you know, there's a part of them is like, oh, is this me, you know, like, or was I just, you know, did I read that earlier this week, or was it God? And a bit like the, like Heather talking about um, the Panamu, you know, there's, there's always that kind of question. Uh, to be honest, the longer I've gone on in my faith journey, I'm actually more comfortable hearing from someone who's kind of questioning than I am someone who's dead set certain, you know, dead set certainty kind of freaks me out a little bit, kind of makes me scared, because um, you know, do you know what I mean when I say that? You know, like, because how do we know? How, you know, how do we know that it was from God? And, and so often we know when we actually just step out in the unknowing. And so I just want to take the uh, 30 seconds to just to, to really encourage you to, to, to give it a go. You know, like to, to, you know, the next time we gather together and you're here and whatever and and, you know, I don't, I don't think anyone has rocks in your pocket getting ready to throw stones at someone who's come up and says something that's completely horrendous, you know. I'm hoping we're not right now, particularly this morning. Um, but, you know, but in all seriousness, this is a really, and um, we work really hard, that this is a really safe place just to actually maybe give it a try, you know. And, and, and it's a place filled with people who are just kind of maybe think that God might be saying something through us. So, Father, I thank you so much, yeah, for, for just, you know, your, your spirit that we've just seen move in us and through us. God, I pray that you continue to develop within us as a people, God, that, that sense of, of being able to trust you and maybe just possibly be used by you to, to encourage someone else, to make the difference in someone else's life. Just pray that you'd bless, continue to bless these times where we're still before you. Amen. Hey, I just wanted to um, start this morning. I wasn't here last week. I actually, last Friday, left and did a, a five-day um, silent guided retreat at the St. Francis Friary in Hillsborough. Um, I've come to realize that what some people must think of me because the shock and horror that Lyndon could actually do five days of silence has just been quite self, a self-revelation of how you may or may not think of me. But I wanted to start, too, really by thanking um, Joe and Steve. You know, you guys have been incredible friends, and we've journeyed life for so long. Um, and this particular retreat was something that I had kind of looked at, thought about doing, 
and then really thought, uh, tried a few things to get sort of cover for the Sunday. And then really I feel like it was incredibly miraculous and I just want to thank you and, and Steve for, for just your yes to, to taking, <laughs> taking Sunday. Um, and, and you will um, please know that it has just made an incredible, spoke an incredible um, thing to me personally and to Angela, but just so incredibly appreciate it. Um, I, I really went into the, the retreat probably, not even probably, definitely feeling the emptiest I have ever felt in my 20-something year journey with Jesus. Just feeling completely, um, in so many areas of my life, feeling just a complete emptiness and lack. Um, and really the silence... Um, I often make these really big decisions really quick and then just really before I have time to think about it too much. And so I, I, um, as soon as I kind of, we heard from Joe and Steve that that, would, that was covered, we just, I just went online and booked it straight away. Booked it and paid for it. And then, and then kind of talking to Angela, within really quick space of time, I decided too, I'm going to do the five days and leave all of my devices at home. Yeah, that was the worst thing ever, but the best thing ever. Like, I was so shocked at my physical, my emotional, my spiritual response to the thought of spending five days apart from my iPhone and my iPad. Like, it is terrible. Like, I'm old. I'm 47. I didn't get a cell phone until I was 46. Oh, I love doing that. I've done that for years. For years now, I'm a year older, and every birthday, it's like, oh my gosh, I've just got another year. It's great. It's a mind game we play with ourselves. But um, I was going to go with that. But no, when did we get our first cell phones? 30? So in the space of like 15 years, this thing has become, I'm going to be, just so you know, I'm going to become a zealot, like a pole against devices for a while, you know, like just, just grin and bear it, you know, roll your eyes, whatever. But I just was kind of like, like this is just, it was incredible. Sorry. So, so it was really, I went into this retreat with a, a, an overwhelming sense of emptiness and the silent side of it. For me, when I was quiet, it always meant something was wrong. Um, and my silence, and particularly in this really difficult season, the, my silence had just become um, just a real place of, of where the enemy just was really going for it. And, and, and the things I was thinking about and the things that I had seen or, or thought about in the silence was just, were just so damaging to, my, to myself and, and really my outlook. And, and so all I wanted to share about this retreat is, and, um, is that, you know, after day one, the, the twitching and the gripping from my phone kind of passed away. Um, and really what was so wonderful was God met me in my emptiness. And I met God in the midst of my emptiness. So, and what I mean by that is, he didn't take my emptiness away. He met me in it. You know, that's the kind of God we, we serve. That's our good father is, you know, he came down into my emptiness. 
And we sat there. He came to me in my silence, and he didn't say anything. And, and at the end of, of, or in the midst of, or all the way through, you know, God redeemed my emptiness. He redeemed my silence to the point that I kind of drove away. That's the other thing I did is I parked my car on Friday and I didn't, I didn't go anywhere unless I walked there. Um, but as, a, as I got in the car, it was kind of like all of a sudden I was nervous about picking up my phone. I was nervous about what, what life going forward was going to look like with, a, with a, um, you know, devices and stuff like that. Obviously, I was able to re-engage my, my ability to talk, unfortunately for you, um, but... But, you know, it just, I just, I guess what I'm going to say is the next time these things come around, and other, it was a guided retreat, so it wasn't you were just sat in a room by yourself for five days, although that could be really lovely too. Um, but, but it was a real lovely guided retreat around the hospitality of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit inviting you to the table. And so I will promote this probably till the day I die. And, and I'll pass it on to you as well. But, but for me, I just wanted to say thank you to, to everyone because it really has been um, one of the most significant things I've done probably in the last 10 years, certainly of my, my faith journey. And so, so, yeah, thank you. If you have your Bibles or one of those evil, wretched devices with a Bible on it, Um, (laughs) turn to Philippians uh, 3. We're going to finish Philippians 3 this week, and and I'm just going to read, picking up from verse 17. So, my dear family, I want you all together to watch what I do and copy me. You've got us as a pattern of behavior. Pay careful attention to to people who follow it. You see, there are, there are several people who behave as enemies of the cross of the Messiah. I told, you about, I told you about them often enough, and now I am weeping as I say it again. They are on the road to destruction. They worship their stomachs, and they find glory in their own shame. All they ever think about is, is what is here on earth. Verse 20, but we are citizens of heaven, you see. We are are eagerly awaiting for the Savior, the Lord, King Jesus, who is coming to, to, is going to come, come from there. Our present bodies, our present body is a shabby old thing. Some of us are shabbier and older than others. But he is going to transform it so that it is just like his glorious body. And he is going to do this by the power which makes him able to bring everything into line under his authority. And then verse, jumping over to verse um, 1 of, of chapter 4. Well then, my dear family, I miss you so much. You're my joy and my crown. This is how you must stand firm in the Lord, my beloved people. 
No, it was about a thousand years ago that really what, what the Bible is as far as spaced out and numbered out has, was done. Um, and most, most people would, would agree now that, that really this is one of those areas that those sort of numbering placement of verses and stuff really weren't, they weren't quite getting it correct. That's why we've kind of gone into verse, chapter 1 of verse verse 1 of chapter 4 um, is really that's kind of, yeah, they were just a verse off there. We'll give them grace for that. Um, as far as wrapping up again what, what Paul is thinking about. So we can again see as we've gone through this series and the way that Paul addresses this Philippian church is these were people who were very dear to him. And we can see really a very much a father's heart of Paul for this church, for the people of, of um, Philippi. How much he loved them and cared for them and, and really, there, there are again throughout this verse and, and the ones we've been going through, again, these big themes that stretch all the way through the letter. One particularly that goes is that idea of, of living in the tension of being a people of unity, people being committed to one another and being people of holiness, committed to being, being a people of holiness, that what we do matters. Who we are matters. How, the things that we say matter. They make a difference. Um, and yet, and we live how each of us, as how we relate to one another, that really does make a difference. And there's another thing that runs through that we see right in the very end of that, is that idea of standing firm. That's all the way through, through Philippians. And he uses a term, it would have used a term to them, like, almost like a military term of standing firm, which Paul would have used because Philippi was on that road, as you remember, um, that is, is really the, the main road east for, for the Roman Empire. And there would have been that military presence back and forth. And so the standing firm is also a major theme that runs the way through. And there is so much that we can take as the church of, Ma of Maharangi, thousands of years later, thousands of kilometers away. Um, but, but this, and I think we can take it from the same heart of Paul, um, a love or a, kind of an idea of a father loving this church, loving his children and wanting to see them the best for them. And Paul starts out by making this unbelievable kind of like, I think it's designed to set you back, is, you know, look at me. If you want to know how to live, look at me. You know, how many of us are, would be comfortable to say that? You know, for me, I kind of was thinking about it. I thought, you know, there are areas in my life that I could comfortably, I would comfortably say, you know, look at me. One particular, I think, that in my faith journey has been just the, the unbelievable kind of knowing in my sense of, of, the, of the goodness of living a generous, open-handed life. I, can, I could comfortably say... Um, to all of you, look at me and model my life in, in what it looks like to be giving, what it looks like to be open-handed, what it looks like to be generous with your time, with your energy, and certainly with your money. Um, you know, like I have, I have a little thing in my head that I always think about, like never, um, so much so that I have to write it down, never sell what you can afford to give away. You know, whenever we're kind of in this thing, we always, and, we, and we do talk about it. We sell stuff, you know. You know, watch out. You don't try to get my car or anything for free, you know. Like, but maybe. But, um, 
you know, never sell something you can afford to give away. That kind of thing. And so there's an area, that area of my life, I could totally follow Paul's thing and say, do you know what? Follow me in this. Driving, however, is not one of those areas. You know, I was thinking, like, what's the word? Driving for me. You think, well, he's a really nice guy. No, not behind the wheel. And I remember, I remember once, and it was really, it had to be 10 years ago. I was driving, and we were going up. I think the kids were in the car, which is even worse, you know? like um, Going up the, the passing lane of the Pahuihui Viaduct, and the car just going so slow, and, and me um, just flooring it, go around them, and as I, just as I got around them, just because I wasn't sure they were picking up on my non-verbal communication on, on their absolute unacceptable way that they're driving, I blew the horn, and, and it was like, I must have been a previous car, because my horn now is like, which is, but this was a great horn that expressed the aggression and discontent of me. And I looked over as I did it to, to add the scowl as well, you know? Like you, and it was a lovely old couple in the car. And Angela will contest. I think I absolutely frightened the life out of them. Like, I'm certain they're not still on earth, and, that, and part of that is because of me. But... We joke, but honestly, a part of me, like, died? Like, Lyndon, that's not you? Like, and I was so embarrassed, and, and like, I felt gutted. We were on a trip because I felt bad about it the whole way. And so even in that, even in driving, I can look back and say, I guess kind of follow me in that because that's not who I am anymore. Do you know? So, and I think that's sort of what Paul is talking about. Can't say that I'm um, great at it, but I'm certainly still moving in the right direction. Um, and I believe that's kind of one of the main areas that Paul is talking about when he's saying, you know, follow me, look at me, use me as an example, is in this area. And we have to think back to earlier, in, or read back in earlier in chapter 3, and think about um, when Craig um, was preaching. And it's this idea of Paul saying in chapter 3 earlier is putting no confidence in my own effort. And I'm just going to paraphrase. You remember Paul lists these things out of that he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was a pure-blooded, pure-blooded citizen of Israel. He was a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee, which of the day was the top of the top, the best of the best, so zealous that I persecuted the church, righteous as I obeyed the law without a single fault. Verse 7, I once thought of all of these these things as valuable, but now when I consider that, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Verse eight: Yes, everything else is worthless when I compare it with the with the infinite value of knowing Christ, our Lord and Christ Jesus, my Lord. For this, for His sake, 
I have dis- disregarded everything else and counted as garbage, as rubbish. I think this, that idea of letting everything else go, of not putting your hope or standing on anything else, is what Paul is talking about when he says, look at me when I do this. Remember, like the demographic of this church is, is, a, is a mix. So we're talking about Philippi. If you remember at the very beginning, it's on the very outer reaches of the Roman Empire. They're a colony of Rome in northern Greece. And so the demographic of the church, is, it's not filled with Jews. It's, it's a mix of Roman citizens, of the original um, people who lived there. And so, so how do they follow him if they're, if they're not... They didn't have that list of things. And it's this idea that he's saying is, however, a bit like we had this morning, however you see your identity, whatever you put your hope in, who you think you are, I love the idea of kind of like, I'm going to mix a bit of a metaphor, but, but this idea of the Lord's table. Do you know, so whatever, whatever you think gets you to the table, and if you think it's because of, of something you've done, something you've, you know, how good you are, you know, how often you read your Bible, how early you get up in the morning to, to do your quiet time, how, how you've never blown the horn at a slow old couple driving down the motorway, or... Whatever you think excludes you from the table, those things that that make you unworthy of being at the Lord's table, you know, both of those things, if, if we think we are the reason why we either are or aren't invited to that table, we are both woefully and sadly wrong. That's what Paul is saying. You know, and if I, if I run with, with the analogy a little bit of a table, but Paul goes on a little bit later on in his idea of, of that other group of people, the people that he's warning about, we could say there's another table set. There's another table other than the Lord's table. And I was going to kind of bring two tables up, but, but I really fell apart with the analogy of what does that other table look like? You know, other than having lots of iPhones and iPads on it, you know, the table of destruction and, and just pure evil. No. I still have them. They're right in my bag. Honestly, I'm not that good. Um, but, you know, but there is another table. Paul says it, and we all know it. There's another table that we can pull our chair up to and we can sit at. And the only thing I thought about is, that, oh, maybe the table could just have a big mirror on it. You know, there's a, there's a table that we can sit at that all that we see back is us. You know, that there's a way of living that all we do is we, we live for now. We live for us. Life is about, about me. What I want And Paul goes on in verse 20, and this is really what I want to kind of really hone into, is this idea, but we are citizens of heaven. And, you know, we can kind of hear that, and it doesn't really um, 
may or may not have the punch that it did when Paul wrote it to that Philippian church because he's writing it to Roman citizens. And he's writing it and he uses that language of, what did he say, like... Um, Lord and Savior, King Jesus, Lord, Savior, and Rescuer. All of those words at the time were used to describe Caesar. Caesar was God. Caesar was Savior. He was ruler. He was in charge. You know, he was writing that to Roman citizens in, in Philippi in the north of Greece, and they were supremely aware when, when Paul wrote, we are citizens of heaven, what he was asking of those people, what he was actually saying. You know, we read that sometimes and we can think that, well, we're citizens of heaven. And I kind of mentioned a few weeks ago. And so that means none of this matters. You know, one day we're going to heaven when we die. And all of this doesn't matter. All of this world doesn't matter. And, and if you think that way, I'd love to invite you to change your thinking. Because that's not what Paul t means when he says we're, we're citizens of heaven. Because, and all we can do is look back at it. You know, them being citizens of Rome, the intention of being a colony of Rome was never that one day they would go to Rome. Rome was overcrowded. Rome was full. Rome had food shortages and sewerage problems. The last thing Rome wanted was those people coming back to Rome. What they were meaning was, you're a citizen of Rome. You're a citizen of heaven. You are to bring Rome to Philippi. We are to bring heaven to Maharangi, not the other way around. What, what he means when he says we are citizens of heaven is that each and every one of us in our workplace, in our families, in our struggles, in our emptiness, in our fullness, in our silence, in our overwhelmedness, we are to bring heaven to earth. We, are to, we have the challenge of, of what does that look like? You know, it, it's our mission it's what being people of, of, of Jesus is. You know, we're, Paul then and now is challenging us as followers of Jesus to be different. You know, in that, in that time, you know, like to be, to be that church in Philippi, they were to live incredibly different. Either that church, that it would be like just living here, like next week or in a couple of weeks from now, it's not Queen's birthday, it's, it's um, Caesar Day, where we worship Caesar, where we go to the temple and we acknowledge Caesar as our savior, as our king, as our rescuer. And, and what Paul is saying is, no, you don't do that as followers of Jesus. You don't do that as citizens of heaven. And so what it meant, if you imagine, is all of your neighbors going to the temple and you're not. And all of your neighbors recognizing you're not doing what we're all doing. And that's not easy. You know, being different isn't easy. It's hard. 
It's painful. That's in part what being a citizen of heaven is. So what does it look like for us to be citizens of heaven? What does it look like for us to, to come to the Lord's table, to stay close to the Lord's table? To remind ourselves we belong at his table and not the other. When so much of the world around us is at, at that table. Dej, do you want to, guys, want to come up? I um, I just want to read this question once more, and maybe if we close our eyes, I want you to consider. I want you to consider your kind of um, picture yourself um, in the environments that you often find yourself in. So, your office, your workplace, your school, your home your family, your neighborhood. And once you're there, I just want you to just ask the question, God, what does it look like for me, a citizen of heaven, to live in that place. These guys are just going to play. But I really just want to spend the next, you know, whatever, two minutes, three minutes of you not, don't leave that place. My certain hope is God is going to give you some really clear pathways into what it looks like for you really and truly, practically, tangibly to live as a citizen of heaven in those places. Oh
As we repent and turn from sin, revivals ever smoldering. Breath of God, fan us into flame. We need a fresh wind, the fragrance of heaven. Pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out. For hearts that burn with holy fear, purified in faith and deed, refiner's fire, strengthen what remains. And so we, the church, who bear your light, lamp of flame, city bright, king and kingdom come is what we
for us to live as citizens of heaven. To see heaven brought to earth in our workplaces, in our families, in our schools, in our businesses, in our neighborhoods. God, I thank you for just the still small voice, the whispers of, of what that looks like. God, I pray that for each of us, we would, we would hold on to those things. We wouldn't let the cares of this world take them away. And that we would go out and we would live as citizens of heaven. In a world that so desperately needs heaven. Wonderful. Thank you. Hey, 